Oh, my goodness. So, my wife and I um, planned this a long while ago that we were going to uh, teach together on this subject that we're going to be talking about. So, um, pray for our marriage. Pray for our patience with one another. Um, my wife is an incredible singer and an incredible piano player and an incredible mother and incredible wife, but she doesn't do very well with technology. Yes. That's true. So it's been frustrating because I know just enough to get myself in trouble. But we're going to be talking for the next four weeks. Uh, together in uh, a subject that helps us as a body. And uh, holiness is a misunderstood topic. And um, there's a lot of questions about this or that. Someone said, well, I've been in church for 30 years. Well, guess what? You need a refresher course. Amen. 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 Found out last night that when... Uh, some of our young men are going to get their minister's license and they could have four years of Bible college and still have to get furthering of education. And so someone just sit in the church tonight and say, well, I've been here for this long. I don't really need this. You're probably the first one that probably needs to hear this if that's how you feel because this is something that we all need to fresher course on. And it's godliness. Yeah. Who doesn't want to be more to God? Yeah. Amen. So we're going to kind of uh, talk back and forth tonight on different parts of this. And we're going to be dealing with holiness for today, tonight. That's what we're going to be dealing with tonight. And then we're going to be talking about holiness for the women and holiness for the men. And uh, those, those subjects are probably going to take um, a couple of weeks for us to go over all of that. But um, the main part of our study is going to deal with uh, this foundational issue. Now, I don't care what anybody says, this holiness is a foundational issue of the apostolic faith. You cannot separate holiness uh, from the apostolic faith and still be apostolic. You cannot do it because it was taught. So you have to have uh, both to be apostolic. Uh, you cannot... I'm sorry if it steps on toes tonight, but if it goes against people that you love or whatever it might be, if you separate holiness, you're, you're, you're not apostolic. Because this is a foundational issue that's just as important as baptism, uh, the essentiality of, of all of that, it's just as important. Uh, and the, the, uh, the Holy Ghost affects the outward actions, and it affects our appearance of the vessel that God chooses to dwell in, does it not? It does. So the question needs to be asked, do the standards of conduct and appearance given in Scripture apply to us today? Or should just we just forget all about them, throw them away, discard them in favor uh, of a lifestyle that is less conspicuous and less offensive to, to people today in modern? These are questions asked. But, but is outward holiness really a foundational issue of the apostolic faith? The questions asked, and um, 
so let's, let's answer those questions from the beginning. This is my part to answer the questions. Is uh, the old saying says history repeats itself, amen? Yeah. And so we have to consider this. In Acts 6, 3 and 5, it talks about Nicholas, a proselyte. And I've taught about this before. We're going to talk about this a little bit more. A proselyte of Antioch was one of the first seven church deacons chosen to look after the business matters of the early church. However, his dedication to the apostolic message was short-lived, and according to early writings on heresy, Nicholas eventually backslid and introduced the doctrines of the Nicolaitans to the church. His doctrine came about a, as a knee-jerk reaction uh, to issues that were going on by the Judaizers, and uh, it abused Paul's doctrine of grace, uh, and it introduced a false freedom into the church. And Nicholas and his followers erred in combating one extreme teaching to another extreme teaching. That's what they begin to do. In the book of Revelation, John talks about Nicholas and those that followed Nicholas uh, and compared them to Balaam. And in the Old Testament, uh, who cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, in Revelation chapter 2 Verses 14 and 15. And Balaam was unsuccessful in cursing Israel from without, but he taught them to mix godliness and worldliness. Numbers 22 and 25. And they cursed themselves from within. And this same spirit that was with Balaam is the same spirit, the Bible tells us, was the same spirit behind Nicholas's doctrine, which was based on Greek dualism. He declared that Christians, since they were sinners, saved by grace, could live like the world on the outside and still remain saved on the inside. And his teachings would, would later be the basis of the doctrine. Now listen, this is what this leads to, okay? here, This is what I wanted to kind of pause and just explain to you. He began to declare, declare like this, that, that sinners were, they were sinners saved by grace, and, and since because of that, they could live like the world on the outside and still remained on the inside. That's what he taught. And then it graduated, and it went on gradually into this, that his teachings would later be the basis of the doctrine of eternal security, which is once saved, always saved. And then he went on and even practiced the confessional. He really brought that in to light in the church, confessing to a priest while living in sin. Brought that in. And since his teaching required absolutely uh, no uh, outward or inward change to be saved, he and his followers attracted large numbers of converts. And, and both from pagan religions and from, from those that were just, uh, you know, people that were in church and just not on fire for God. Let me say this, and a side note to put a pin in this, is that it's important to stay close to the fire. When, when you stay further away from the fire, you're going to deal with a whole lot more stuff. And, and that's why it's important that at church, the altar in your life and in your church is on fire. Because the closer you're to the Holy Ghost and the fire, the more passion you have for God, the least likely it is for you to walk away from things and tenets of Scripture. Yeah. 
So Nicholas taught that the externals of holiness were not important. God, however, who holds a little bit more sway, uh, had a different opinion. In Revelations 2 and 6 and 2 and 15, it was two different times that God said that he hated the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And that has not stopped. God's hatred has not stopped for that teaching. So there was a, a Greek theologian, Irenaeus, in his brilliant work, uh, let us know how far this worldliness eventually reached. It said that the Nicolaitans, am I saying that right? We practice this. Nicolaitans. Okay, Nicolaitans. You looked it up on YouTube. Yeah. I looked up Google. He it. wanted to call them Nicolaitans. I Googled it. Don't make fun of me. No, I'm not making fun. I said it can't be Nicolaitans. These Nicolaitans, or whatever she says, you got it, you got it. are the followers of that Nicholas, who was one of the seven first ordained as deacons by the apostles. Mm -hmm. And they, they led lives of unrestrained indulgence. An outward standard of holiness was the first thing to go in the great falling. That was the great falling away of the latter first century. But the tide of change did not stop there. Holiness was soon to follow. Uh, then it was real repentance. Water baptism by the immersion of Jesus' name. Speaking in tongues and the gift of the Spirit. And the doctrine of the oneness of God. Do you realize that when you follow church history. That it was all taught this way. Jesus taught it to Nicodemus. who taught. Then Jesus taught his disciples, and his disciples then taught it to the first church. But did you ever notice how things begin to change throughout history? And, and a big part of it was this Nicholas, who for some odd reason got his mind twisted and began to pull people away from things that Jesus taught. How can I be a follower of Christ and not follow his teachings? Hmm. And as the elder apostles died one by one, leader with smaller vision and weaker convictions stepped in and they very subtly altered the message just enough. Only much later, as a gross doctrinal errors took root in the church and, and it propelled her into the dark ages, did it become apparent uh, just how much was lost when the holiness lifestyle was abandoned. First, it was the lifestyle. Then it was repentance. Then it was baptism. Then it was the infilling of the Holy Ghost. When you begin to shave off things that Jesus taught and the epistles taught us and, and our leaders told us and taught us, when you begin to shave those things off, where does it stop? We cannot allow for that spirit of Nicholas to rise up in our church anymore. By doing such, we'll never know what, what the church was ever like because then it'll be our worship. And then, then it'll be our attendance. And then it'll be our life altogether living for God. Because you keep on cutting, what do you have left? We cannot allow compromising or non-negotiable principles of Scripture for personal convenience and societal acceptance. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, we're peculiar people.
We cannot allow people to push us to surrender our holiness because it's too burdensome and laying truth to rest in a cold grave of tolerance because it's too exclusive and too inflammatory. They have massacred the scripture and they've maligned the apostles and mortified God uh, with their bad scholarship and their intelligence and their pension for loose living. But the modern Nicolaitans do not should not deceive us. The, la the last time that they came around, the damage that they did and what it caused us and what they put us put back cannot allow that spirit to rise up again. We have to understand it. And so from time to time, we need to begin to talk about it and bring it up to light and, and let everybody, bring it up to the surface. Let's just say it like that. This, uh, there are people that want to teach like this and act like this and, and go. That freedom is nothing less than old bondage in another cloak. So you watch them long enough and you'll see that holiness is only the first thing on their agenda. Oh, pastor, you don't know what you're talking about. If it wasn't recorded, I'd tell you exactly how I know it to be. But out of respect... For friends, I will not. But it doesn't stop just in how we look and how we act in our daily lifestyle as an apostolic Pentecostal. The underlying, and when you begin to peel back the layers and you can get out of the, because let me tell you something, Nicholas and the spirit of that is a chameleon form of Christianity. And it will conform to wherever they have to conform to be wherever they have to be to please wherever they're at in the environment that they're in. But when it gets down to the brass tacks and you get down to the basis of it, it's not essential and it's not needed and it's not important. And that kind of attitude towards holiness literally will take everything else and rip it and throw it away. Again, history repeats itself. You. All right. So that's the, the thing that uh, we don't want to do. No. In our, in our church, is allow history to repeat itself. That's right. Amen. We want to guard what is so wonderful and so holy and so good about this great salvation that we have. Yes. This great truth that we have. And it all works together. If you take one thing out, the whole thing can just fall apart. Yeah. Right. And I've seen it in my own family. And like uh, Pastor said, we, we won't get too specific about that. But it, it has happened and is happening continuously in churches that do decide that they will no longer adhere to any type of lifestyle conviction or holiness standard. There's other things that will follow it. You're going to find that give it a few years, they no longer really matter or care if you baptize in Jesus' name. They, know, they, they don't care anymore if you say, well, <clears throat> you know, it's, you really don't have to speak in tongues. It's just, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not really a salvation, uh, you know, issue. Right. Yes, sir. Thank you. There should be pushback from the congregation when this begins to happen. Right. When leadership begins to slip, there ought to not just be, well, we're just going to pick up and go. There ought to be pushback against people that will say, hey, pastor, 
Are we still doing this? Is still believing this? Are we still handle Because it ought to be, if it's important enough for you, it ought to be something that you stand up for and speak up against. Do we still believe in baptism? Do we still believe in holiness? So it's really important for us to define what is holiness, because I really don't think that a lot of people do understand what holiness, what does that mean? We see it so many times throughout scripture, but what is it? The Bible teaches us that holiness is one of the attributes of God, necessitating his condemnation of sin and setting before men their highest possible aspiration. And that is for us to be holy as God is holy. Yeah. Right? So 1 Peter chapter 1. We probably are going to be getting a wealth of scripture. And uh, if you're able to, you know, put them in your phone or write them down, however you like to retain knowledge, um, you'll, be, you'll be getting all kinds of scripture that helps support uh, what we believe. Um, and so... Because if we can't show it to you in scripture, what good are we? Amen? If we can't show it to you in the word of God, then, then we're not apostolic. We're not what we claim to be. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. I think that it's important to understand here that word conversation. It's not talking about uh, what you and I talk about for what, about what we had for lunch or what happened yesterday. Okay, not, not talk, that's not what that word conversation means. When you see that word conversation there, that, that literally means your uh, lifestyle, your lifestyle in all manner of lifestyle. Okay, that's an important thing to understand. Um, and the Hebrew word kodesh, for the word holy here, the Hebrew word, because we know the Bible is, you know, depending on who the author of which book we're looking at is written in Hebrew and in Greek. Okay, it, it, in Hebrew it's kodesh, in Greek it's, and I'm going to have a hard time with this, and hagiosune, <laughs> H-A-G-I-O-S-U-N-E. Um, Literally, that word holy means withdrawal. Okay? Withdrawal. Therefore, scholars define holiness to mean separate or apart. Being holy does not only mean withdrawing from something. Mm -hmm. And I thought that this was really compelling. It means withdrawing unto something. Okay? We do not live holy merely to make others look unholy. Amen. That's not the goal. Our original state of holiness was lost in the fall of man with Adam and Eve. That original state of holiness was, was lost. And we live holy lives so that we can withdraw into man's original state of communication with God. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Follow peace with all men. And holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So the Bible teaches us that, the, that holiness is essential. It's not optional. No. Holiness is essential for Christians. 
And it also teaches us that our personal holiness develops through a process known as sanctification, which is a synonym. Don't get hung up on big words. Okay, sanctification is a synonym for holiness or separation. Yeah. They all, this all means all the same thing. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Notice that word holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Paul is teaching us three important concepts here. That sanctification is a process of maturing yeah. that takes place over time. Right? Sanctify you wholly, completely. You don't, you're not completely perfectly sanctified the moment you are saved. None of us are. Amen. That's not going to happen until we reach heaven's gates or until yes. we enter heaven's gates, may I say. Number two, that we are sanctified through God's power, not our own. Quote, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. He will do it. And number three, that sanctification involves all three parts of man's being. It involves our spirit, our soul, and our body. Your spirit, that which, that which is going to live forever. Your soul, which is your mind. And your body, which is your flesh. Sanctification involves all three parts. Yes. It's not just one. And this is where a lot of secular, uh, you know, or a lot of other um, religions get hung up on is they want to say, well, it's only a matter of the heart. It's, it's not a matter of anything else. And well, we could get in a whole nother discussion with that. And maybe this Bible study will take us there. But, uh, but we see in scripture too often where, where scripture is teaching us that it involves all three things, not just one thing. Amen. All three things. So spirit, soul, spirit, mind, and body. Positional sanctification is as complete for the youngest believer as it is for the oldest. It depends only upon one's position in Christ. Let me explain. A new Christian is as saved as any saint the moment they are born again. Right? But they're only beginning to walk with God. So they're immature. The Bible calls them babes or babies. They, they are only ready for, for milk. They, they are not ready for the meat of the word. This is why we don't shove stuff down people's throat the minute they come up to the altar and they, have a, they repent and God fills them with the spirit. And then we come up behind them and say, you know, you better start wearing dresses and you better not do this. And you bet No, because there, there's a process there that is involved. And, and uh, we need to let the spirit of God work in that individual. Can I Amen. Yes. Interrupt you for just a second. Please. This, this is important, and I want to I wanna dwell on this just for a minute about every new saint is, is just as saved as an old saint. If you go into the natural, when a baby is first born and it takes its first breath, is it any less alive than the mother? Mm -hmm. Is it any less alive 
the same heart's beating, the same way, the same lungs are still working, the same brain activity it is. But that child is so immature, it doesn't know right from wrong. It doesn't know how to do things. It still needs the mother to make sure that it matures it and feeds it and cleans it and protects it. It gives it covering. Mm -hmm. It needs that because at that time when a baby's first born, it doesn't know what it needs. And it cannot help itself. It, it's, it's not in a way to, to say, you know, hey, Marge, give me some milk. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. um, so it will need the mother or the, and the father to take care of it, to help it to know what it's going to take to live in its life. And holiness can be attributed the same way with this. This is right. Right. Amen. That's good. Thank you, honey. That's really good. So that's positional sanctification, right? Yeah. We are all, uh, you know, that, that sanctification begins at the moment of salvation for every single person. Okay. And then experiential sanctification is one's actual holiness of lifestyle or what one is through Christ. It is imperative that believers allow God to lead them in sanctification. For it is possible to eventually forfeit salvation altogether if they do not mature in holiness. So if someone comes in, and unfortunately we know, we've seen this happen, right? People come to church and uh, we're all excited. They, they, they come, they cry, they repent. God fills the Holy Ghost. We baptize them in Jesus' name and we never see them again. Like, what happened? This was so wonderful. And, and well, uh, they just, for whatever reason, they, they didn't stick around. And we weren't able to, uh, to continue to teach them and feed them and give them what they needed to stay alive. Yeah. And, but this can happen to us at any point in our walk with God. Yes. If we decide not to keep the fire, if we decide that we're not going to no longer remain faithful to the house of God. Yeah. If we decide that it's no longer really that important to fast and pray and read God's word, well, then we'll shrink. And eventually we will die. And we can forfeit our salvation. We can forfeit it. What, what you once had, you can lose. Yeah. Because that's what sin can do. Amen? So it's it, experiential sanctification is, is what we do by experience, how we live our life day to day and how we grow and mature in our walk with God. It's from the point of salvation up until eternal sanctification, which is the third one, which will occur in believers at the, uh, at the rapture when they are instantly and eternally transformed into uh, a state of complete conformity to Christ. So there, there you have those three sanctifications, positional, experiential, and eternal. Where are we at right now? We're in the experiential phase of sanctification. Most of us in this room are saved, all right? And so we've got that step down, but now we're in that middle phase where we want to stay that way. We want to stay saved. So thus, most issues of holiness are not salvation issues because salvation can happen spontaneously to anybody, right? So we're not, so we, we agree that uh, most issues of holiness are not uh, salvation issues. They are maturity issues. 
but you do need to mature or you won't survive. All right, now it's your turn. <laughs> Let me follow that up. So then what makes it wrong? What makes it right? What makes it wrong is a willful disobedience. And when you have a salvational issue, uh, it's a willful disobedience. And it really can come down to a rebellious attitude. And so there, there has to be, when there's an understanding, and, and don't try to say, well, I, I just didn't know. When in doubt, you don't do without when it comes to your salvation. When in doubt, you ask. That's the blessing of having leadership. And then allowing the leadership to lead. Can I go ahead and just say this for just real quick? I know it's not in our notes. It's not, thank you. There's people in church today that I am just their preacher. And then there's people in the church that I'm also their pastor. Some I'm their pastor that preaches to them and some I'm just the preacher that they go to on Sunday. You can't pastor preachers, the people that all they want is just a preacher. I can't help them. I can preach to them, tell them right or wrong, but they're going to be willful disobedient because they don't have it in their heart to do it right or wrong. But somebody who wants a pastor We'll, we'll have somebody that'll say, hey, if I'm wrong, lead me to where I'm right. Because my eternity matters to me. <laughs> so holiness is something that we fight the flesh on a lot. That's when we need to, to really rely and lean on leadership to help us. And guide us. And for heaven's sakes, parents, do not use pastors as a threat for uh, teaching obedience. Well, I'm going to tell the pastor on you. You know what you just done? You just made me the bad guy. Have some maturity about you to just handle it yourself with what you know is right or wrong. And don't use the church as a weapon. Or a punishment. Or a punishment because some of y'all found out when you bring your kids to be that way, it's, I'm going to reverse it on you. Right. Pastor, you need to tell them right or wrong. Did you tell them? Well, I, I brought them to you. I'm not their parent. <laughs> some of y'all are shaking your head. Yeah, I know. That was me. It's so, so holiness is not always... Uh, the problem is not always just, uh, it's, a, it's a salvational issue because it's a part of a rebellion against God's word. There's a battle for holiness. And that battle for holiness or sanctification, as my wife brought out, is won or lost in the mind. Well, I'm going to win this battle at an altar. You first and foremost are going to have to learn to win it in your mind and make it up in your soul that this is just the way it's going to be. And my mind will always fight with me, give me excuses, tell me which way and angle I can get out of doing it. And so that's why our mind has to be placed on an altar daily. Has to be. 
Because on one side uh, in this battle is our redeemed spirit directing us to do good. And on the other side is our unredeemed body tempting us, telling us it's okay to do that. In a spiritually dead person, the spirit is alienated from God because of sin. Unless he makes a choice to change it, this is an eternal condition. Less the man, less person changes, makes up in their mind to make a difference. And since the spirit is dead, the soul is now in charge. So, so you, you have to understand, for me, I have to lay, I have to lay myself down daily as a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is something that goes on the altar and then doesn't move. Okay, hear me now. They would do what to the sacrifices on the altar? They would kill them. Now, unless we got zombies walking around, the sacrifice would then stay on the altar. And the only way to overcome in our mind is for us to be placed upon an altar daily that our flesh dies out and that our soul takes over. Well, that's... That's, that's a, and be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes. Yes. If a person then is led by an, an intellect and emotions and will, this person cannot understand spiritual concepts. Right. These spiritual concepts, when you are led by, by you trying to make sense of things and you trying to theorize and philosophy and this person, it, it'll be foreign to you always. His body becomes merely a tool for acting out lusts and passions. This man is mortal, which means death doomed or Satan ruled. You, you cannot try. Some things we just have to, we must just lay ourselves out like living sacrifices and just allow God and trust in the process. Okay, let's move on. So some scriptures to illustrate this struggle between these things we're talking about. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 23. For I know that in me, my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Some of us need to read that more than once. In me, my flesh, there is no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. No to do good, but I don't have the restraint needed to fight against the wrong to do the right. Because in me, I'm weak. For the good that I would do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that would I that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. 
Romans 8, 5 and 9. For they that are after the flesh doing the things of the flesh, but they are that after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. Carnally, carnal, sinful. It's another, another good word for that. To be sinful minded, worldly. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is constantly in enmity against God, warring. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He's talking to church folks that are struggling with these things. And he's trying to teach them. He says, but ye are not in the flesh, ye are in the spirit. So if, so if, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It goes on in Romans chapter 12. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I think you brought this up. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Let me just put another little caveat in this. People will say, well, I've been living for God for a whole long, and I've been doing this and doing that and wearing this and not wearing that, but I don't understand it, I don't like it, I don't believe it, but I'm just doing it because. That's just as bad. If you don't love it, it's not a holiness issue, it's, it's a rebellious issue. If you can see the oneness in Scripture, if you can see Jesus' name baptism in Scripture, if you can see these things in Scripture, holiness is just as much talked about but more. A holy lifestyle, a holiness living is talked about even the more. And so it shouldn't be one of these things, well, I've been living for God for 15 years, but I don't believe this and I don't understand this and I don't like it, but I'm just doing it because I want to teach Sunday school or I want to be in the choir. You need to sit down with leadership and you need to find out in Scripture what is right or wrong because you are not in a good spot spiritually. And again, I'm not saying, you know, you know, you're a hellion. But uh, I'm saying it just needs to be a renewing of your mind to understand these things, these concepts and these. Okay, I'll move on. Can I mention one thing right there? No, you can't. All right. Yes, you can. Uh, I have this written down. Don't, in, in regards to what we just read, present your bodies a living sacrifice. There again is that, that, that three you know, one of those three parts of who we, who, of who we are, our mind, body, and spirit, our soul. He talks about all three of them in there. Right, that absolutely. And present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And what I wrote here in my notes is don't let the world's process operate in you. Let God's process operate in yeah. you. Amen. I think we get hung up on this in today's world because it's such a world of visualness and, and, and image. This is what we're, we're caught up, videos and, and, and the way we appear and, and selfies and, Instagram, and TikTok. yeah, all of those things where we're trying to gain other people's approval by our appearance. 
<laughs> please tell me I'm beautiful because of this picture that I took. Or please tell me that I'm, you know, I, we're, we're allowing, I'm sorry. I, we're, 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 we're teaching you this tonight in love, not, not because we're trying to, uh, you know, be mean. Because <laughs> uh, we want to protect the church. God's, this is God's bride. Well, it's God's bride. Well, Amen. On, on that, and people say they're just trying to be mean. Well, what, they don't say that when we talk about baptism. The book of Mark, they said it very plain. You're either baptized or you're damned. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's mean. Yeah. There's, it's, it's, there's no gray area in that. And so we don't have a problem when we teach on baptism that way. We don't have a problem when we teach on repentance. We need to repent. We don't have a problem when we teach on, you know, if, if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost and you're not part, you're not saved. But when you start talking about holiness and you start saying this and you're like, oh, you're mean. No. Mm -hmm. It's your soul. I, I, you know, I, I, my job is more than cleaning toilets. My job is to preach the word of God and to lead the best that I can in my ability for us to mature. Right. Right. My dad used to always say, this is going to hurt you a whole lot more than it's going to hurt me. I never believed that to this day. I still think that he was telling a fib. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you have to come to the pulpit and you have to bring things out to help the body to continue in its maturity to become better than they were yesterday. So that's why we still preach in, we still preach a oneness message. We still preach repentance as a necessity and baptism in Jesus' name by immersion in water is a necessity. It's not just something that you do. It's something that we're told to do. So we do it. We're in obedience. We still believe in filling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And we also believe in living a lifestyle, as the epistles teach us, to be closer and more mature to Christ. Amen. As Jacob had the vision and the dream that became a place called Bethel, he saw a staircase. It wasn't a ladder, it was a staircase. And that staircase, it got higher and higher, and it got the higher that he got, he got closer to heaven, to glorification, sanctification. We're not going to be perfect down here until we get to heaven. That's when we're going to be perfect. But we don't just stay on the first step. We climb higher. Because our goal is not to be closer to earth. Our goal is to be closer to heaven. All right, let's move on. It's 8.30. So we're going to give you just real quick. We're going to be quick about this. I'll do my best. Seven holiness principles. Are you all still with us? Okay. So holiness involves both the negative concept of separation and the positive concept of dedication. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, 17 and then 7 and, one, okay, 7 and 1, says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate. That's what the Lord said. Mm -hmm. It says, Touch not the unclean thing, then I'll receive you, and I'll be your father, and you'll be my sons and daughters, say the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting it, doing our best to perfect it. We are not saved by works, but we are saved unto works. Read this, That's Ephesians. number two. 
Number right. two. That's the second one. We are not saved by works, but we are saved unto works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith. And don't forget that he's talking to people who are already saved. Yeah. He's not teaching them how to be saved. He says, but now that you're saved, don't forget, you've been, you're saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Yes. Amen. We are saved unto good works. The works don't come first in order to be saved, but they should come after. All right? James chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So we still need to show forth works. <laughs> you know, just because we're saved doesn't mean that that's, that's all there is. Now, verse 18, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Amen. That's some good scripture. Number three, holiness is not a means of earning salvation, but a result of experiencing it. Amen. Yeah. Titus chapter 3. Verses 5 through 8. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. That they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Amen. Number four, because we, we said we got to keep moving. Okay, go ahead. Number four, God demands an external witness of our internal holiness. Yes. Let me clarify. God demands mm -hmm. an external witness of our internal holiness. This man does not demand an external witness. He's not the one who is, who is uh, you know, back behind some door with a board of men saying, let's, uh, let's, let's, how can we squash our women and how can we uh, make our men, you know, Mitchell. miserable and, yeah. You know, that's, that's, that, you know that that's not how that works. If we cannot show it to you in scripture, if it's not there in scripture, then walk away. If it's not in Scripture. But as a believer, if it's in Scripture, then we need to follow the Word of God. Yes, sir. You're, you're going to find out in the teachers, though, the only thing that I would say that you're not wrong, but I want to clarify, mm -hmm. is that there are times that a pastor will set a boundary for the church because of whether it be community or, or issues or different things that it's it's not black and white in scripture but it is something that he feels that God has given 
as a teacher, which we're going to talk about in this next section, is um, that he needs to set the boundary. What The boundary that God set on the mountain and told the people not to go up the mountain was different than what Moses set. The boundary that God told Adam uh, about the, the, the forbidden fruit, the tree, was totally different than what, he, what Adam told Eve. What God told Adam was totally different. It was a boundary that was set above because sometimes a shepherd has to set that extra boundary to keep people because, you know, you know they had these little videos they were putting out where they were telling kids, don't eat this, and the mom and dad would walk away and their videotape is, don't eat that. Nine out of ten times, those kids are going to eat that brownie. If they don't, you got problems. <laughs> it's just normal. So you get that rarity kid who every once in a while that won't. And, and left up to us, if we say, here's the boundary, you know, we don't have a little extra boundary, we will take advantage of it. Come on. You'll still do it today. The speed limit is 65. Eight is great, nine is mine. That's what the officers say. Mm -hmm. But the limit is 65. But we have a little cushion. I didn't mean to jump in, in on your parade there. Okay. We're going to talk about that, though, too. That's in our notes, baby. Okay. <laughs> Amen. But God does demand an external witness of our internal holiness. Matthew 5 and 16, let your light, Matthew 5 and 16, Matthew 5 and 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. I don't know. There we are. Okay. Thank you. Jumping ahead. Matthew 5 and 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. It goes without saying that external compliance is worthless before God unless there is also an internal reality of holiness, right? We know that our appearance or no matter what type of works we could do, we can feed the hungry, we can, all of those works can be manifested in us, but if there's no internal holiness, it, that's all really for naught. It's nice. Show. <laughs> It's nice, yeah. and, and, and uh, you know, you might save money on your taxes or something, but uh, it's not going to get you, it's not going to no. get you to heaven. So it takes both the internal, amen, and the external. All right, go okay, ahead. Okay, so let's talk about the teachers, because I already just jumped all into that in a minute. Uh, I'll give us three. Yeah. Three. Three holiness teachers to show us how to live a life that pleases him, okay? We're going to move through this quickly as much as possible. So, first and the most supreme source of holiness teaching is the Bible itself, okay? Therefore, a holiness standard must either be a specific biblical statement or a valid application of a biblical principle, okay? Valid application. God also gives us spiritual leadership in the church to help us to apply biblical principles to the situations we encounter in contemporary life. I'm going to use this analogy. I've used it before about Brother Merrick. Uh, when we were dating in Bible college, there were things I wanted to go to uh, baseball games. And I had tickets to go to a baseball game. You know, you're a Bible school student. There's very few pleasures because you're poor. Taco Bell was our big 
going out because they had, they had 50 cent tacos back there, 59 cents. And you get free tickets to do something you want to go. She couldn't go because her pastor taught against that. My pastor did not teach against that. And I, I didn't understand it until I went to her town. It's not as bad now as it was back then, but you know, she, I thought she was exaggerating when she said there's a bar almost every other building, and it was. And so they would go to these places after coming out of the world would then go back into some of these places where the prevalence was alcohol. Mm -hmm. And them northerners just don't drink one, two. They times everything that they do by ten. So it'd be like someone said, well, I, I'm born again. I could just go back in there and everything will be all right. But the, but the spiritual leadership says, why play with the poisonous snake? Well, the church shouldn't teach that. Listen, I, unless I'm wrong, it's not just the church that teaches that, but even things like AA and NA and these places will tell you that you can't be around those type of influences and it not affect you. So there are some times that spiritual leadership itself will take the application of the, the principle in the Bible and apply it to the church in a way that helps us in our community stay strong. So we have the Bible, the spiritual leadership, and finally it should be the Holy Ghost. Because if we read our Bible and we listen to spiritual leadership, the Holy Ghost is going to tell us what's right or wrong. And, it, it, and if you say, well, I haven't heard that little still small voice in my body, you need to fast and pray. Because mm -hmm. it should speak to you quite often. John 4, 20, 14, 26. John 16, 13. Jeremiah 31, 33. 1 John 2, 27. Now, the Bible, spiritual leadership, the Holy Ghost, these things have to work in unity. So if your spiritual leadership teaches something that is contrary to the Bible, they're not in unity, something's wrong. If your Holy Ghost, I'm going to say it like this, if your Holy Ghost tells you something is right, but your leadership and your Bible says something else, that may be a spirit, but it may not be so holy. And a whole lot of justification today is taken that you're right even though your leadership in your Bible says otherwise because, oh, we got time for this, but we're going to spend just a couple minutes. Because your holiness and you are so spiritual that you know more than your leadership and the Bible does. And let me throw it, the Holy Ghost does. And so you'll become so intoxicated on your prophecy and so intoxicated on yourself and so intoxicated on what you want to do because you want to be right that you'll just negate your leadership and the Bible that just that your spirit will contradict even the Holy Ghost to make yourself feel right. And guess what? You're wrong. And we got too many people today that are listening to their voice instead of listening to the Bible or listening to voices that are not even uh, in, in alignment with God in the Bible. If you get your spiritual guidance from Trinitarians, you're in trouble. They can't even believe the basis of a God and he's one. So they don't need to be telling you how to live your godly life. You're supposed to rein me in when I start doing this. 
So God does not give human beings the right to change his message. Nor the will, the indwelling spirit of God, speak contrary to the word of God. So the Bible teaches us, I gotta go on. The Bible teaches us three kinds of holiness standards that God expects every mature Christian to adhere to. Number one, Bible standards. These are explicitly commanded in Scripture and demand immediate obedience. Right. Church standards. These are established by spiritual leadership to deal with the practical application of spiritual principles in modern situations and are understood and implemented gradually as a believer matures. I'd like for one person to please come up to me and say, um, Pastor, when I got into church, I wasn't even here a week, and you were telling me that I was wrong by the way that I was dressing or looking. Mm -hmm. I won't have nobody do that. Because I was taught, you love folks. And you teach them as they grow. And then there's personal standards. If you don't, listen, you can have all the Bible standards and church standards, but you need to have some personal standards. You need to have some things that, that, uh, that are prompted by your Holy Ghost for you. Because your walk and somebody else's walk may not be the same. And you may struggle with things that they don't struggle with. I don't do anything on, on Sundays. It's got to be church related. Sorry, I won't be at your birthday party. I've had to make exceptions, very little. Uh, we played football on Sundays for a long time until Bishop got up and railed us from the pulpit because we would come in and sleep during Sunday night service. And he was right for it. Personal state, and we've got other personal convictions. And, and they're, they're because what we need as, as a family to be closer to God. They're not contrary to Bible. They're not contrary to church. They're just more. There's nothing wrong with having, if you're just doing the bare minimum, then it doesn't really mean much to you. In a marriage, it should never be just the bare minimum in, in, in a marriage. In a relationship, it should not just be the bare minimum. You ought to go overboard in how you show your spouse you love them, you care for them, they're the most important. Holiness standards are not the central part of holiness, but they're an internal work of God's spirit. If you've got God within you, you have no problem in bringing it out. However, they are an external sign of the authentic work of salvation that is happening in a subsequent spiritual Christian maturity that are taking place. If you've been in church for four or five years and you're still the same person you were when you first got in, you need to grow up spiritually. Holiness principles deal more, number seven, deal more with our creation than with our culture. And God's word emphasizes them differently for women and for men. They're totally different. The reason there seem to be more external standards for women is that God created men and women so different. One are from Mars and one is from Venus. That's not politically correct. I'm not in politics. <laughs> and we could take time to go into there, but men are about stimulated by sight. And, and that's why Jesus said, whoever looketh on a woman and lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. A man who's always attracted to a woman physically before he's connected to her uh, is always connected to her physically before emotionally. 
But fellas, if you don't connect with her emotionally, I don't care what kind of woman she is, she will physically change. And if you better fall in love with her emotionally, even the more. I'm not going to get into all that. So that's why women you know, are, are, are said men are supposed to do a thing and women are supposed to do another thing. But we're going to end it with this. Do you have anything to add before I end this? But this is why. She doesn't have anything sorry, to add, I, sorry. But because of that, because of that, I think that this does help us to understand more why, uh, you know, because women um, are commanded to appear a certain way, right? Yes. This is why scripture references women more in their appearance than it does on men in their appearance. Because men will be prompted to sin or do wrong based on a woman's appearance, uh, whereas a woman won't. But she will do wrong based on maybe how the man treats her or how the man leads or doesn't lead. And so uh, while a woman is commanded to appear a certain way so that the man is not affected, the man is commanded, commanded to act a certain way so that the woman is not affected. But we'll detail that more yes. in scripture. But next week, right? Yeah, we'll do it because I don't want to get in trouble with what I was about to say. I need to clear that with you before I say it. You know I'm going to say it. Yes, yeah. Men's bodies are horrible looking. They're not pretty. God didn't make us to look good. We got hair all on our faces. But women, God made them to be pretty, to be appealing to the man. <laughs> now listen, some of y'all are going to say, Pastor, you're going a little bit too far. But as a pastor, I deal with two things. I deal with, with people and, and their issues in their mental health. And I have to counsel people constantly on their sexual health. Because we've been too afraid to talk about a few things from the pulpit and deal with them because those sins and spirits are just taboo to talk about from the platform. Right. That's all fine. If you got an issue with that, that's fine. But when little Johnny gets to be 13 and 14 years old and you're bringing them to me because you found things that they're dealing with and that they're looking at and they shouldn't be doing and talking about things and doing that, then I'll remind you of how you was like, dial it down. But God made it different. And so we've got to be very careful in how we go about these things. I haven't rode a bicycle, apparently. It's very obvious. In a long time. I think the last time I rode a bike was when you and your family took me to Chicago on a bike ride from Salem. Felt like we were going to Chicago. You said you could see the Sears Tower. <laughs> yeah, we, I didn't think we was ever going to go home. Uh, but they say when you learn to ride a bike, it's called a muscle memory. And you don't ride a bike for a long time and you get on a bike and it doesn't, you get wobbly at first, but eventually you get, and you're riding your bike again. Uh, but it's muscle memory. Um, so that's why we're teaching these things is to make sure that our muscles, spiritual muscles, don't forget. We talk about baptism. We talk about repentance. We talk about Holy Ghost. We need to talk about how to live for God Amen. in our lifestyle that we don't forget 
how to ride that bike. 